This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. I wanted to uh, point something out. I, I saw, I was reading something today, which of course, um, we're trying to get in the Christmas spirit. We're trying to be upbeat. We're trying to feel good about ourselves and all that kind of stuff. But every once in a while, as, I, as I've said before on the show, every once in a while, you see something that just really tugs at your nerves. And this one, this one really, story from... I don't even know what media outlet it is. It's from a radio station, but it's reporting on a, on a report that public sector employees, so government employees, continue in 2016, have continued to rack up bigger salaries and bigger pensions and more benefits than people in the private sector. Well, is that really a surprise to anyone anymore? We know that that's the case, right? We know that or we at least we expect that it's going to be more in public sector, which is ridiculous, but it's the case. In 2015, government employees made roughly 10% more for doing the same work than people of similar gender, age, and experience in the private sector. So if you work in the government, you've got it made, you're golden. And the other thing about it is that not only are you golden, not only are you making more money, but you're going to continue to see the gap grow because private sector places are, things are tough. People are holding back. People don't want to spend all kinds of money. They think things are tight. So raises are tough to come by in the government. No, not so much. According to the Fraser Institute, eight out of 10 government workers in Canada enjoy a pension that guarantees them income in retirement versus one in 10 in the private sector. That's staggering. It's staggering that only one in 10 people in the private sector have a pension that is going to guarantee them an income when they're retired. I think, I think that's when you consider that this used to be commonplace, not everybody, but it used to be commonplace. You would have some kind of pension. Well, not anymore, unless you're in the government. Government employees retire nearly two and a half years earlier than private sector employees take nearly five more days of personal time off per year than private sector employees. So, you know, things are really good if you work for the government right now. And lots of people work for the government. Oh man, lots of people work for the government. I think in Hamilton alone, municipal employee, people who work for the city of Hamilton, what's the number? 7,600? And we're talking hundreds of thousands who work for provincial or federal government governments, provincial governments or federal government across this country. It is a massive, massive number. By, I mean, the biggest workforce by a million miles in this country. So there's, there's the baseline. If you work for the government, you're going to get more money, more time off, more pension, more benefits, more everything. And why is that frustrating? If you work for the government, you're, you're listening right now going, hey, that sounds pretty good to me. The reason it's frustrating is because the money that is coming in to pay you is being paid by the people in the private sector who aren't getting more increases. So every time your pay goes up, every time your benefits go up, more taxes are needed to pay for this. And where is that money coming from? Yes, it's coming from Joe and Sally private sector. Yes, I know you also pay taxes, but that's just recycling. The money to pay for this stuff is coming from the private sector. So every time you get an increase, the people in the private sector have to get less. There's a reason why people are making less money, why companies aren't able to pay the salaries. Not always. Sometimes you have greedy people. I understand that. But in general, with corporate taxes and everything else, it's much more difficult. But here's where you can really, as you're getting ready for Christmas, here's where you can really feel the warm glow of the season if you work in anywhere but the government story that came out a couple days ago in the Toronto Star. Just here's the exactly the I'm going to read it exactly. Just in time for Christmas, 8500 managers, executives and deputy ministers in Ontario civil service are getting 125 million dollars in pay hikes. 8500 people will will share 125 million dollars in pay hikes. That's just in Ontario. 
This it's apparently because a salary freeze has left some managers earning less than their unionized staff, which is a whole other issue altogether. But the reality is that we are now facing a situation where you have got thousands of people within the government, executives and managers who need to have $125 million in increases because the people working for them are making more money than they are. Think just think logically, think through this situation. Think how much money, therefore, is actually being spent. Think how high the salaries are that we're talking about in the public sector that are not being matched in any way, shape, or form in the private sector. And yes, I will grant you right off the top, because some of you will be saying this, I grant you, I do not work for the public sector and I'm probably a little bitter about it. Okay, all right, you can have that one. I'll give you that one. Because it does drive me nuts. It drives me absolutely nuts that people who are out there working in the private sector who are obligated because they're working for a company to help a company make a profit, to pay for shareholders, to do all these things, that they're not seeing any reward or not much reward for their money, but government employees continually can see their pay going up and up and up and up. Now, 8,500 of them are going to share $125 million in pay increases. And where's that money coming from? From you and I, because they deserve it because they work for the government. Oh. Makes me crazy sometimes. Makes me crazy sometimes to think that we have decided. I'm not, I'm not one of the people, I am not one of the people who argues that everything the government does is unnecessary and evil. I am not that person. There are things governments do that are essential. There are things government do that are very helpful. There are things governments do that are necessary. So I'm not a, hey, let's get rid of all government. That's not me. But there are things governments do that are entirely wasteful. I'm not going to go into it all. If you listen in the afternoons to Scott Thompson, Scott has it covered. Scott has been on Kathleen Wynne now for months, and he's done a tremendous job talking about the Ontario government and the waste, the money that just flows out of that government that goes nowhere. Just flush it down the toilet. There should be an option, quite frankly, with our provincial taxes sometimes. You can send your taxes into Queen's Park or you can just light them on fire on your front lawn and same difference. So I'm not going to go into all that, but I, you look at this and you think, how is it? How is it that we are needing $125 million in increases just so the managers can get back on top of their employees. How much money are we spending on salaries and on wages for government workers? It is time across the board, federal, provincial, municipal, not for cuts. I'm not talking, not for firings. I'm not talking about firings. I'm not talking about layoffs. I don't want anyone to lose their job. That's not what this is about. But it is so beyond time for two things to happen. One, for governments to say, yeah, you know what? We can't afford more increases. If you have to go on strike, you have to go on strike. But for the next little while, until we can try and get our finances, get the debt down, get the deficit down, I'm sorry, you're way ahead of the private sector right now. You're just going to have to live with what you got. I'm sorry, but that's the case. That's the first thing. Governments have to take a much harder line even though it may be unpopular and even though it may lead to work stoppages and even though it may make people unhappy that some of their services don't get given, we can't afford to keep doing this. And the second thing is, it is time, it is beyond time, not to fire people, not to lay people off, but to put moratoriums on hiring for governments. Enough. For the next five years or three years or four years or whatever, there should not be another government job filled Period. If someone retires, if someone leaves to go to somewhere else, let that job, let that position stay empty. Let other people, it happens in the private sector every single day. People in the private sector are doing more work for the same money than they were before. They are covering more tasks than they were before. If they can do it, surely it can be done by government employees. Correct? Of course it can. We have loads of government workers If they have to do a little more work, they can do a little more work. 
I'm not talking, again, just so we're clear, I'm not talking about working them into the ground so they are overworked to the point where it's sweatshops and they die. That's not what I'm talking about. But holy moly, certainly when you look around at the number of people who are working for government agencies, we can clearly say, you know what? There are lots and lots of workers we can afford to do with a few less. Not by layoffs, not by firings, by just not replacing those who leave or retire. It happens in the private sector all the time, all the time. And the other argument that people have when they come up with this, they say, yeah, but the government then, what about all the jobs that we don't have positions? People won't be able to get jobs. If people don't have to pay so much tax, if companies didn't have to pay so much tax, those private sector companies might be able to hire more people. Why is it that the only area that we see that is needed, that, it, that can hire our governments? We can do it with private sector. Just don't charge them as much. But I'm reading this story that we want to now, or that we're going to be paying $125 million more for 8,500 managers, executives, and deputy ministers. Really? Really? Come on. Do, is Ontario not completely bankrupt? We are. We're completely bankrupt. We're, be, we're way in debt. We've got a huge deficit. Money is flying out. We can't afford to pay for stuff. We can't afford this. We can't afford this. We need, we need to start treating money like it's money. We need our, our politicians to start actually caring about the money that we're spending in taxes. This is why people are cynical. This is exactly why people are cynical about governments. Because the perception is, it appears as though if you get put in position in government and the money is not yours and you don't have skin in the game, huh, who cares? Let's give it to everybody. $125 million? Yeah, no problem. Sure. Let's, let's throw it away. Let's give it to you. What do you want? You want $200 million? Okay, we can do $200 million. How many of you want to raise? You all want to raise? Okay, raise this for everybody. If, you, if it's not your money, you don't care. You just don't. We, need, we just need to be way more careful. Let's, let's, let's have our governments treat our money like it actually matters, like they recognize that people have worked hard for this money, like they recognize that people are putting in a lot of effort to make a living not so that the taxes that they earn can go and just be thrown away or so that they can watch other people doing less work in a lot of cases make a lot more than them. That's not right. We need government. We're not, I'm not arguing against government. We just need smart government. We need responsible government. And I'm not just talking either about the liberals in the province. If it was the conservatives, if it was the NDP, if it was the rhinoceros party, I don't care. We just need some responsible government finally. 8,500 people in the province getting 125 million in raises with a 5% retroactive raise to April and what did I see here? What's the, uh, I can't even remember now. It was, there was something about a 10%. Uh, I'm thrown off by this. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So while you're scrounging for your Christmas gifts, just know and let the cockles of your heart be warmed by knowing that 8,500 managers in government agencies across this province are going to have a very Merry Christmas thanks to your tax dollars. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Spotlight. It was a story about uh, the Boston Globe and they were investigating the Catholic Church down in Boston for abuse. And you would have watched it because it was a great movie because I don't know if it won, but it was up for a number of Academy Awards. It was one, uh, two years ago. It was one of the most talked about movies out there. Well, if you looked very closely during a number of the scenes, during many of the scenes, in fact, particularly one in which Stanley Tucci, that's the actor, not his character's name, and Mark Ruffalo are chatting. You can see in the background the Hamilton courthouse. Film was made in Hamilton. At least giant parts of it were. A few years before that, 
I had to be bumped out of my desk at the spectator because the building was being used. Uh, Christian Slater was using the spectator sports department area for a movie that he was doing. Another time at the spec, and then in Dundas, I mean, they have Hallmark Christmas things all the time. Point is, this city is used a ton for filming movies. There's a ton of movies that get made here. So many movies, in fact, that about a year and a half ago, a ban was put on filming in Dundas because apparently people were complaining because there was too many movies being made here. We are a draw as a set. We're a draw as a location for movies. But now the city, because the city is looking at this, the city council yesterday was talking about, well, maybe we should drive up the price of a permit so that if all these film companies want to come here, we can make a lot more money. We can squeeze them for a lot more money. If they like Hamilton, by golly, we can get money out of them. They're movie companies after all. These are big money productions. Well, I thought we would find out if that would actually work. And I also thought it'd be really interesting to find out why it is that movies like us so much. Why do they like working here? Well, Jonathan Matthews is a Hamilton guy who is also a professional location scout. That is his job. He goes out there and finds places where movies are going to film that fit within the feeling and emotion or whatever else of of what he's looking for. And, And very often he's in this area and he joins me now. Jonathan, how are you tonight? I'm great. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. Thanks for joining me tonight. My pleasure. Why is it? We have, as I say, a lot of movies that film in this area. Why Why are we a location that film companies seem to like? Well, I mean, cinematically, the Hamilton area, or greater Hamilton area, if you want to be like it's Big Brother Toronto, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's got grit. It's got uh, texture. Um, the people of Hamilton are fantastic when we deal with them. Um, just... If we ever read a script that has Detroit or Pittsburgh, uh, which we often do, uh, we go right to Hamilton. And just to uh, clarify, I'm actually a location manager. I have scouts that work under me, but I direct them out to the Hamilton area to look for those areas. Fair enough. Absolutely. This then, so so we have, I mean, is part of what makes Hamilton attractive is also, uh, I was reading this somewhere, that within a 10-minute drive in any direction in the city, you can pretty much find almost any kind of location, whether it's urban or whether it's upper class or whether it's outdoors or whatever else. It's not You don't have to go very far to find someplace. Oh, not at all. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's fantastic. I mean, you can get beautiful mansions. You can get uh, the, the, the downscale look. You can get the industrial look. And you can also get little pieces of New York on Upper James North, for example. Huh. I, I hadn't thought of Upper James as being New York-like, but we'll take it. No, absolutely. I mean, Brooklyn, we've played uh, just uh, to, the, to the north. I would get my geography mixed up in Hamilton, but the, uh, at King William and uh, St. James North, there's that little stretch there where there's the restaurant Venturas uh, with the exposed uh, staircases on the outside, the fire escapes. That's, that's a dead ringer for Brooklyn. You know what? Now that you say it, absolutely. And is is that unique? Is Hamilton unique that way, or are there a lot of cities that are like that? But we're just close enough and we're central that it makes it easier. Well, I think you know, in the difference between Toronto and Hamilton, I mean, Toronto its gentrification is has been ramped up so much in the last ten years that we've lost a lot of the older warehouses and the industrial look um, that used to exist here. So we reach out to areas like Hamilton because they still do exist there. Um, And besides that, uh, the Hamilton um, Economic Development Office is fantastic to deal with. Any of the departments in Hamilton, the municipality of, are great to deal with, going from the police services to the public works to traffic control, you name it. Uh, I have yet to run into a person that has not been amenable and helpful with us. Because there are so many films that have been filmed, films, TV shows, any kind of, you know, movie, because there's been so many things that have been filmed here, is it, does it get to be a concern that a particular site, a particular location becomes too familiar? Do you have to keep track of what's been used over and over again, or, or is it hideable enough and, and confusable enough that people aren't going to see that? Well, I mean, if you film inside of a house that has been used a lot, usually, like, we have a production design team. And they always want to augment or Greek change the look of the interior of the house to suit the script. So that's really not a concern of ours. It's more uh, of a concern to the municipality, because as a locations department, um, what we are most concerned about is we use the term burning out a location. 
where area residents are just tired of seeing the, the presence of trucks and, you know, the traffic control and basically the minor inconveniences. But when it becomes week to week, uh, then it's up to the Economic Development uh, Department to let us know in a municipality such as Hamilton that, hey, look, you know, you've, you've had films here like six or eight times this year, and that area is burnt out. So they usually bump it up to a different level where we have to get signatures or mm. notify a wider ge- geographical area. Now, again, I, I, I don't want to uh, demote you again. Uh, you are now a manager, but you are someone, I mean, you have done this as well for a long time. Walk me through the process. If you were looking for whatever, uh, pick your description of what the scene is going to be. How, what's the process? How do you actually go about finding what you're looking for? Well, that's a great question. I mean, the first thing we do is we read the script and, and I break it down. And then I assign scouts to different areas that I need them to focus on albeit a police station, a hospital, a road scene, or a house. Um, There's a great organization here in the province uh, with the acronym OMDC, which stands for the Ontario Media Development Corporation. Um, And they're readily accessible online. Any homeowner or any business owner that's interested in having on-location filming can contact them, and they will send out a scout to take photographs of them, and they document them digitally, uh, on an online database, which all of us in in the uh, locations department uh, know of very well, and that's our Google, if you will. Um, so, you know, you, you work smart in the beginning and you look at things online. Other than that, I know geographically how Hamilton is made up, and I know where the sweet spots are for what I'm looking for in any given script, and I'll send scouts out to that area to basically knock on doors and say hi, give them the spiel, and uh, ask them if they'd be interested in the film in their home. And then they take photographs. We bring the photographs back. We show them to the director and the design team. Uh, And then if it uh, triggers an interest, then we'll actually get in a van, and we drive out with those uh, creatives, and we look at the place, and we decide whether or not it works. When, When you go up to someone's door, though, and knock on the door, how often does the person go, come on, really? Uh, I have yet to hear that in 25 years. Really? So yeah. what's, what's the usual response when you knock on, or when someone knocks on a door? They actually don't believe us. That's what I mean. Yeah. They're shocked that you would pick them. Exactly. And I mean, we compensate them, obviously. We insure them. Uh, everything is taken care of. If we have to displace them from their home for a few days because we're either setting things up or filming in it, of course, we put them up in a hotel. They're compensated fair and reasonably. Um, You know, I'd like to think about it, and I'm not just being biased, but it can actually be a really great experience. Uh, Well, you know what? I have a very close friend who um, his farm was used in the filming of Mrs. Soffel with Diane Keaton and uh, and uh, Mel Gibson years and years and years ago, and and they loved it. I mean, the whole place was redone. The whole place was hidden. I mean, it didn't even look like their place anymore, but they thought it was one of the great experiences. Well, you know, it, it, it can be, and I mean, you've got a lot of different mediums out there that uh, use people's houses or businesses for filming. You know, you've got the commercials, you've got TV, you've got feature films, you've got webisodes, you've got Netflix, which is now big in the world of media. Um, there's a lot of different organizations, but I would always suggest to your listeners, if anyone's interested in this, you know, do some research, ask for references. Um, you know, know who these people are that are coming into your house. And, and don't be surprised when you agree to it that, you know, a hundred people are going to show up. <laughs> yeah. And, and so when you ask, what percentage, roughly, I, there's not an exact, but what percent would say yes and what percent would say no? 100. Would say yes? Yeah. I mean, sometimes in, in Toronto on the bridal path and some of the, you know, uber high end areas, it's just not something that's interested to them, interesting to them. But there's always angles that we can, you know, we use. I mean, there's bragging rights. There's, you know, the cast that is in the film. There's, you know, I remember filming at a mansion where the guy just said, look, the, the money that you're offering, it, it really isn't of an interest to me. Uh, but I noticed some pictures of his daughters in the house, and they were quite attractive young ladies. And I said, well, you know, might your daughters like to be in the film and, you know, stand beside a star such as Jessica Alba and, you know, I could send a driver to pick them up and put them through hair and makeup. And uh, <laughs> the next thing I knew, we were shooting in this multi-million dollar mansion for free. Very well done. Very well played. What would be, though, uh, typically, and I know it's always different, but tip- what would be the range if you were going to be having to take over someone's house for a few days? Um, mm-hmm. Give me some idea of what that would be worth to someone. 
Well, I mean, each production has a different budget, and that's something that's really important to understand. I mean, TV works on a lower budget than, say, feature films. But then again, feature films, you know, it's a business like anything else. We don't just throw money around. So it's really a conversation that's kind of personal between the production company and the homeowner or business owner. You know, what's fair and reasonable to put you out of your house and out of your normal routine? But, you know, to give you a general idea of of, of your question, I mean, a house uh, to film and rent uh, for, for a film, you know, you, you could rent the house on a prep day for 500 to to $1,000. You could pay anywhere between two and $5,000 for a shooting day. It really, really depends on, on, on the need of the film. So when does the city come into this? Because you, you get all this arranged, and what the city, and this whole discussion has started because the city is now talking about getting uh, or charging higher levies, charging higher fees to be able to film you talked about the Economic Development Office. When does the city become involved in this, and what are they looking for? Well, the city is involved with us right away. They're a great partnership, and it's a very important relationship which we in the Locations Department need to have in order to have a successful shoot. So generally, I will contact the uh, Hamilton Film Office, the Economic uh, Development Office, uh, with the question, hey, how are things in this area? Just so that I know I'm not getting myself into a situation where you know, someone has been complaining a lot or there's construction in that area or they're going to, you know, replace a main sewer line or who knows. So we're partners right from the beginning. Uh, as far as you touching on the, the idea of fees, uh, permit fees, I mean, really, I think that's up to each municipality to weigh the pros and cons of also the economic, you know, uh, kickback, which no one really can quantify until it's all said and done. And when I say that, I mean, when we bring, you know, 100, 150 crew members into a municipality, say, as Hamilton, where are they going to sleep at night? Where do they eat? Where do they fill up their cars with gas? Where do they buy their staples uh, for food and such? Uh, there's, there's an economic value there. And so, you know, in Toronto, we have, a, we have a, a, a film and television office totally dedicated to the industry. Hamilton has gone up and down, you know, sometimes when it's really busy, they have an office, they have people that are dedicated to it. I guess, you know, each municipality really needs to weigh the, the pros and the cons of the economic benefit, if you will. I hope I made sense there. No, but certainly if you're, if you're bringing in a small army of people, they've got to eat. And they've yeah. got a. They, there are other things that they're going to spend money on. So, you know, whether the city right now the city charges, I understand fifty six dollars and fifty cents. I don't know if that's per day or per film. I I, I got to be honest. I'm not really it's, sure what that it's, is. It's actually per permit. Okay. So if I'm filming at any given address, uh, in order to get that permit for road occupancy to park the trucks and be near it. Uh, yeah, there's a fifty six dollar processing fee. Okay, but that $56, uh, you take two of your crew who go out for dinner, at least that much is being spent again. Yeah, and that's two people that wouldn't normally be in that area. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. Correct. Now, what happens if the fee does go up, though? And I, as far as I understand it from the discussion, they're not talking about raising it to, you know, 1000 or $5,000 or something, but what happens if it were to double? What happens if it triples? Would, it, would a film company that is, I assume using a, you know, a pretty substantial budget, whether it's a TV show or a movie, would a $200 permit chase them away? Some not, some yes. Okay. Uh, you know, again, it all depends on the production. But uh, I, think, I think the bigger question here is, and, 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 I, and I'm interested to know whether or not any industry stakeholders were in on these conversations with the Hamilton Council, because you know, we, we track numbers. So we know, you know roughly what, you know, we have spent in any given municipality after we leave. So I think that that might be a useful piece of information. But to answer your question, uh, honestly, a, a larger production would probably look at that as far as uh, the cost goes. Well, what am I getting for that? Because it's like a business like anything else, as I said earlier. So if you have a, you know, as you say, a multi-million dollar feature film, that doesn't mean they drive around with a Brinks truck and just got bags out the back. <laughs> it is a business, and we're accountable for those monies that we spend. But if they're saying, you know, for $250, this is the permit fee, and this is what you're going to get from it, A, B, C, and D, well, then, you know, it's up to the film production company at any given time to uh, 
quantify that. And Jonathan, do you, as the production, as the location manager, do you have your own budget to do this? Or every time you, if this yes. was going to happen, do you have to go to the producer and say, I need more money. We got a $250 fee. Because I would think <laughs> that if that was the case, you might just get to the point of saying, it's just a pain in the butt to always have to go and ask for, or to clear this stuff. I can openly and honestly say that I don't think there's a producer that has worked with me that hasn't had me ask for more money. <laughs> but at the same time, um, you know, I do have a budget. I, I do need to be fiscally responsible for the production. Um, and so if, if I'm being told that there's a $250 permit fee, uh, but this is what we get for that, uh, you know, and I want to go back to what I said earlier. I mean, I have experienced nothing but great support from the Hamilton uh, Economic Development Department. But if they need to employ a person because the volume of filming is so high and they need to, you know, employ an extra person, well, I can't understand why a producer wouldn't understand why that needs to be offset by a permit fee. That said, are you still weighing the economic kickback? How sure. does that work? I mean, you know, it's kind of like uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of like crystal balling, if you will, because you look at it and say, well, hang on a second. If we're going to bring 150 people, 100 people in here, and they're going to spend on, a, on you know, a guesstimate approximately this much money that wouldn't normally be spent, is it more prudent for us to put a person in that position and go the economic development way? Well, and the last thing, yeah, and I got to let you go in a second, but the other thing about this is uh, that's easy to forget when you're making a feature film, it's great to say, okay, it's a, it's a fee for a location of $200, let's say, but how many locations would you need in the course of making an entire film? sometimes 20, sometimes 100. Right. So it's not like you're making a movie and that's the cost of your location. There's a lot of these that might go into, that might factor in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, when we read a script, you never know, you know I mean, once you, you go through the interview process and, and I secure a position on the production, I get a script and I, I never know. It's, it's kind of, it's great because I, I love reading a, a new script and uh, seeing what surprises are going to be in it for me. Well, we're um, we're just anticipating now that one of these nights you guys are going to uh, set up shop here and uh, film something at CHML while we're doing our show. Well, we could do that, but you know what? I was actually born in Hamilton. So I know. I have a sweet spot for Hamilton. My dentist is in Hamilton. EJC Dentistry on Stinson. He's fantastic. Well, you know what? It's uh, you're welcome back anytime, and we really appreciate the time you spent tonight doing this, Jonathan. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your interest in our industry. That is uh, Jonathan. Matthews. He is a location manager in charge of location scouts. I got it wrong. Uh, but it's a fascinating topic because as I say, the city is talking about whether or not to raise fees. And I threw out the $200. I don't want you to confuse that, that that's a number. I, I threw that out fictionally. I don't know what the number is right now. It's $56 and 50 cents per location. Maybe they want to go up to a hundred, maybe 150. I don't know. But the fact is it is important to remember that if you do go up, there are more than one location. There is more than one location that you'll need in the film. So do you chase away all that peripheral spending, all that extra money that companies come into Hamilton and spend with those armies of 150 or 100 people on that film? And if it's a trade-off between putting another $50 into the municipal coffers and then losing $50,000 in spending, that doesn't seem to be a great investment. But if you believe, if you're a city council and you believe that they'll still come here, that you can raise the fee a little bit, but they're still going to come here and you don't risk running them out of town, well, then that's something different again. But boy, based on his explanation, it would be, it would be something you'd want to be very careful about because you don't want to end up getting these companies that love coming to Hamilton, apparently, as he describes, and tell them to go somewhere else. That would, that would be a def- self-defeating decision. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. We have uh, someone who happened to wander into the studio. I believe he was just uh, wandering the neighborhood and it's cold outside and he needed to come in off the street. So um, we took him in. He is the executive producer of this show. He was the co-host of Sunday Brunch, which was a show that ran here on 900 CHML for a number of years until... It was canceled. No, I don't think it was canceled. 
Until, no, it wasn't canceled. Until Tracy Lynn took a... Uh, she a, wanted a huge pay raise. She wanted a huge pay raise. So and so said, forget it. Yeah. We, no, she that's not true No, it isn't. It isn't at all. But it just this is Jamie West, by the way. Thank Jamie you. West, yes. Very familiar nice voice here, here on the station. He's a fill-in for everybody who ever doesn't show up for work. Made a and, career out of it. It's a good career. It is. It's a great career. Good to see you, Scott. You too. So you were just uh, randomly wandering around the streets. Have you got all your Christmas I shopping was, done, I, by the way? I don't, I, well, I went and got a whole whack of gift cards today. So yeah, it took about, I don't know, 14 minutes to do all that. So I'm all looked after. And yeah, I was, you know, I, I'll use the old Bob Hope uh, thing. I was just next door taping a special <laughs> and I thought I'd drop in. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the gift cards, we had to actually buy some gift cards for my nieces and what I discovered is if I do want to do the Christmas gift card thing, uh, there is a particular grocery store near my house. I won't say it. I won't give them the free advertising. But they have this carousel. They have this carousel <laughs> of gift cards. And they literally I know, I have, love it. They have every store. So you could stand there and in three minutes, boom, 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 boom. What do you done. think I do? That's, That's what I do. I go in, I get bread, milk, I get some vegetarian sushi. And I load up on gift cards, and that's it. What is vegetarian sushi? Is sushi, it's, by definition, it's Cal- have to- California roll with no fish or cooked fish in it. Well, it's just the- rice and vegetables, avocado, so oh, avocado, carrot the- stuff, cucumber stuff, that sort of thing. I'm a health nut. That is... Um- <laughs> Yeah, but my Christmas shopping's done. Wasn't that the question? I, the, no, the, the, no, that's uh, you know, that's, that's good if you can do it that way. I mean, the old done, days, done it, and done. In the old days, it took a lot longer. You, you well, had to, you had to actually think about people. Say, you had, you to, had to give some thought to the people you love, and you had to be care- You had to be strategic too about you. You had to get in early in December to get things like at Eaton's because they would start to run out of gift boxes. Because remember, you'd buy a s- scarf and some gloves for somebody or socks or whatever. And you'd have, would you, can I get a gift box? Of course you can get a gift box. No, I'm sorry. It's December the you know what 6th, has become 16th the, and you can't get those anymore. You know what has become the big center now for gift boxes? The liquor store. <laughs> Honestly, every single. That's where I did all my shopping Every today. single kind of booth now <laughs> has a gift box that you can buy. People were steamed at me at the liquor store today because I was buying all these gift cards and there were people with seven bottles of wine who were well, mad. Yeah, you go in to buy a bottle of wine and there's all these gift boxes and I'm thinking to myself, I know, it's, why do I want to pay a premium for a metal box? box that I will take the bottle of yeah. wine out and then throw away. Because it's a regifting thing. Haven't you gotten with the I whole suppose. regifting thing? That's what happens. These right. things just circulate around. Yeah, I suppose. Damn. What was the place that you used to be? I'm trying to think of the name that I used to go and get my Christmas shopping when I was younger. It was the... Uh, the byway. No, but it was like that. It was, you would go in and you would fill Part, out the piece of paper and they would the go liquor in the store? back. No, 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 no. Consumer... Consumers distributing. Consumers yeah, distributing. They had one on Main West down You'd go in down and fill here. out the piece of paper and Absolutely. they would pull it out of the back for you. Beautiful place. They had one that out was, in East End too. I, uh, I actually liked that. Yeah, it was, it was the... Um, it yeah. was great. It was great. You would look at the catalog. You did. All, it's it's similar to the gift cards. You do all your shopping in the catalog. Walk in, write a number code, down, hand like, it to a guy. It's like going into the Thai restaurant. I'll have one, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever. I'll, one. Whatever. I'll have a big bowl of po, yeah. pho or whatever they call uh, it, which I love. By I don't want to. I don't want to mess up the pronunciation. No, I, <laughs> on I, that. Luke tells me I didn't. The, the one year that I I thought I had said something. Is it pho? Is that what it no, is? No, no, no. We were, we were having oh. the Novemberger thing on here one time, and oh, I yeah, tried yeah. to say the name of the restaurant. I got a, the, the Pheasant Plucker. Oh, and I got to be really a, careful I said with it that. with a mouthful of hamburger and yeah. a little too quickly and uh, said something that the FCC yeah. or, you know, <laughs> may <laughs> have the been... the CRTC. CRTC may have been concerned yeah. about. Yeah, um, let, us, uh, let us move into something that's a little um, more timely, but also a little more depressing, quite frankly, just to, you know, get people psyched mm. up for Christmas. Uh, Luke... Play the. If we have a clip. This was on Monday Night Football on December 8, 1980, right near the end of the game. Howard Cosell was doing the call. Here he is. Remaining, John Smith is on the line. And I don't care what's on the line, Howard. You have got to say what we know in the booth. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City, the most famous, perhaps, of all of the Beatles, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival. Hard to go back to the game after that news flash, which in duty 
bound we had to take. Frank. Indeed it is. That was one of the more remarkable Monday Night Football moments because they had, of course, no warning that this was going to happen. How could you? But you are a huge John Lennon fan. You were actually mm. just down in New York uh, doing your yeah. your vigil at Strawberry Field. Well, it wasn't. The, it was. Down, I was down there celebrating my fiftieth birthday. But yeah, we did. We did. I can't go to Manhattan without uh, walking through Central Park, and I can't walk through Central Park without going to that that uh, that happy. Uh, place uh, because there's always guys there playing Beatles songs on acoustic guitars and and yeah there's the Imagine Mosaic that uh, Yoko Ono uh, put there and and people leave flowers and they take pictures and they they sit and they think and they share poems and it's it's a great thing and then right across the street of course is the Dakota building where John Lennon uh, lived and where Yoko Ono still lives to this day. And, it, it, uh, it's I haven't been there, but it sounds, I, I have been to the field where Woodstock was in Bethel, New York, and it sounds similar. There's people who just hang out there and kind of different, different reasons. You know what, you know what happens when, uh, and, and I've been there, I've, I've gone by it three or four times, uh, say in the last 10 years or so. And what I noticed more than anything is that people uh, treat it with reverence. They they hush when they mm. when they when at the building or yeah at the, site? When, at the at the building at which is the same thing as where he was he yeah. was shot right there in the archway of uh, of that that gothic uh, style building and you can look it up on the internet if you haven't seen it it's quite a, a spectacular building it's got a long history um, and people get really quiet when they walk by they 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 go there for a reason they go there to see the place where john lennon was killed which is sort of strange isn't it that we do this we do and it's, he's not the only one we but go to dealey plaza in dallas we go to the hotel the uh, motel in memphis where martin luther king was shot it's it's kind of a weird thing that we it, do it is but because so many so many people around the world you know felt that they knew john lennon they were so close to the beatles they were so close to lennon that the irony i guess of of this thing is that you can get that close you can stand literally where the gunman stood you can stand where the doorman was you can stand virtually where john lennon was shot dead and that that somehow i, I think people they, they don't want to do it because they just want to feel connected again uh to to that uh, that individual and it's uh and they treat it with tremendous reverence people hush they don't they're there some people take pictures, which is which is weird too. But I kind of I kind of get that at the same time. But anyway, it's I can remember everything about that that night and Cosell's call, and I can remember what the weather was like in well, Hamilton. And don't forget that that time at that time Monday Night Football was huge. Yeah. Everybody, oh yeah. So so Network when it was announced, appointment tune television. Yeah. When it was on, then it's not like it was for Monday Night Football now, where it would be a small oh, massive sliver. audience. Yeah. yeah. So I you know I wonder though about about the whole John Lennon thing, mm. like so many other celebrities, although he's in a different category altogether, we obviously did not want, nobody wanted this to be the way that he would have died. Yet at the same time, there is something about his legacy, about his musical career, about a lot of things that get frozen in a moment that he doesn't have a chance to ruin it. He doesn't have a chance to have a few bad albums that come out that somehow tarnish it. When you have these celebrities that die at this very young age, him being one of them, he was 40, um, it kind of preserves everything in this frozen I agree. moment and nothing can go wrong then. Yeah. I, I mean, Terry I, Fox is another example yeah. where you look and you go, I mean, I'm not suggesting Terry Fox would have got into trouble or anything. What if he'd become an alcoholic? You, you, you know, know it, it, no, it, no, I know. I would I, say it. I know what you're saying, but. But he, because it happens like this, you die a saint, essentially. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And, you know, the thing, I think the thing that a really bothered hardcore fans of, of John Lennon's was that we were robbed of mm. any possibility. First of all, robbed of any future music from this guy. So that alone was painful enough. Robbed by a complete nincompoop, a complete well, a ne'er-do-well, a crackpot yeah. who had no purpose in life, this guy. And sec and more importantly, we were robbed of a of a Beatles reunion, which that had been discussed for many years in the mid seventies, prior to his death, 
and was always kind of brushed off. And that's because the artists themselves, the Beatles, were doing their own thing. They still were getting over the breakup of their own band. But I knew that that reunion would... I'm absolutely convinced that reunion would have happened. And the reason I'm convinced of it is because a lot of emotional healing happened with George Harrison and with with Paul McCartney. Harrison brought on an album in, in 87... Uh, called Cloud Nine that was produced by Jeff Lynn from ELO, who was a wannabe Beatle. When we was fab. Right. And um, I remember attending a news conference that uh, w- with George Harrison in Toronto at the Sutton Place Hotel promoting the, the album. And I got to ask him a couple of questions. And I asked him the question, uh, and the room was full of media. And uh, I said, have you, have you got everything resolved? all the all the fighting the lawsuits and all of that has that all been resolved and he perked up and he's he said well i'm really glad you asked that question he says as a matter of fact just yesterday there's an irony yesterday um we signed everything off we we literally everything got done yeah just just yesterday and uh so you could tell he was getting sentimental about things mccartney was always i think probably prepared to do it, and Ringo would have done anything. So, well, look, if the we Eagles, got robbed, if the Eagles could get back together, and they hated each other, yeah, hell did freeze over. You knew that the Beatles could, and look, you go back over then the future after John Lennon was killed. George Harrison again with that album wrote "When We Was Fab," which mm-hmm. was a melancholy kind of looking back mm-hmm. at those years. I can't even remember the name that Paul McCartney, the song that he sang about John Lennon. I can sing it, but I can't think of the name of the. Um, uh, but he sings it at every concert and he just does it for John Lennon and there's yeah. pictures of, of yeah. Lennon. But yeah, you, you, there would have been. There would have been and, and the money would have been just yeah. too crazy and, not to. And poor Paul McCartney too on this thing because he for years was vilified for not showing enough angst and emotion when approached by the media scrum in the hours immediately following John Lennon's death when they said, you know, how are you, how do you feel about this? And, and he was, and, and if you go back and you look at the video clips of McCartney uh, online at that moment, he's, you can see he's distraught. But he's saying to the media, oh, it's a drag, isn't it? It's a, it's a real drag, isn't it? And, and that's all they sent, that, that's all people focused on was, that's all he could muster was, it's a drag, isn't it? But there were follow-up questions. And he said, well, what are you, what are you doing today? Well, I'm going in the studio. I'm going to go in um and play some music and record some music and well well why because i feel like it and it was like can't you see that this guy who was a beetle who was paul mccartney who normally would be all over the media can you not see by his short answers the guy's in pain he wants to just be private he wants to get away from it and what a better place for paul mccartney to do it than in a studio because john lennon would have done the same thing the, uh, he got vilified for nothing. Yeah, the song, by the way, uh, was called "Here Today." That's right. That's the one. I couldn't and he, think he of played name. it here in Hamilton he uh, in July, July twenty first. But here's the other thing about John Lennon, uh, and you know, I, I always wonder whether artists, because you look at Jim Morrison with the Doors, and on and on and on. Yeah, the Twenty Seven Club. The Twenty Seven Club. John Lennon was a little bit older than that, yeah, but 40. whether he would have continued to write music. The, John Lennon last year, this year, last year, two thousand mm-hmm. and. This year, 2016, his estate made $12 million this year. He was number eight on the highest earning dead celebrities list, right ahead of Albert Einstein well, that's, yeah. and right behind Dr. Seuss, well, which is a very weird dinner party. Well, that's because they just keep releasing Beatles stuff over and over again. Yeah. The Apple Corp, not the phone people, but the Apple Corp with the Green Apple, their corporation is, is run brilliantly by business people who know how to keep packaging and repackaging uh, a Beatles stuff. And but is he still relevant then? Because oh, I think so. musically, he makes a lot of money, clearly, I think for it, the music I think so. industry, that, 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 for John Lennon Enterprises, but is he still relevant today? McCartney, Lennon and McCartney are the, are the Beethoven or Mozart of their, of their time. They're, they're, there's nothing that even comes close to what they were able to accomplish in really a very short period of time. Um, and over so many different style changes. Their, their compositions are magnificent. They've been covered a million different ways. 
this music is absolutely classical and it and that's how it will be that's how it'll be viewed it'll live on for i believe for centuries yeah i always want i do i do wonder though i wonder if john lennon had lived if he would have actually kept producing music and the only reason i ask that is because paul mccartney is still out there still he yeah. was here in hamilton but he doesn't write a lot he doesn't sing a lot of new stuff there's the odd song but it's he's not he's not like he was he keeps writing it but the industry has changed right no, the, like like what's relevant to the industry now isn't what was relevant to the industry back then. He was prodigious back then. Yeah. Everything he wrote was a hit for a while. And now it's not so much. And so I wonder, John Lennon would probably be out there writing stuff as well, but we probably wouldn't talk, we would still talk about him in reverential tones as a Beatle, but I'm not sure that at 70, he'd be 76 now, 77, if we would still talk about him reverentially as an artist today. Oh, I think we would. I think we we talk about the past reverentially, not the future, not the present. New music, I think he'd have kept cranking it out and I think he would have... Duets I, with I, Yoko I think, Ono no, on the American I, no, Classics. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> There's jokes, you know, that Chapman missed. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. But but it's been out there for a long time, so I'm, I'm, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, and you know what? I'm not a I'm not a big Yoko Ono fan, to be honest with you. I'm not. I don't view her as the Dragon Lady, but she did something that I thought was very distasteful on uh, his 70, what would have been his 70th birthday a few years ago, um, she decided to display the clothes that he was wearing the night he was shot. Um, the clothes that were handed back to her in a paper bag, because that's what they do. Here's all his stuff in a paper bag. And she took those items and she displayed them in a museum as part of a 70th anniversary thing. And I don't accept that um, it was to make people stand up and be shocked and go, yeah, guns are terrible and all of that stuff. She's she's one of those those artists. A bon vivant. Can, ex- that, can that be a woman? I don't know. An expression. But I thought it was really distasteful. And I think I think most I think his fans would have I think were disgusted by it. And I actually think John Lennon would not have approved of that. I don't think he would have approved of that. I just I think he had. I think he had more consideration for his fans than if if he were asked, you know, John, what do you think? Can we put your bloodied clothes up and show everybody? He'd have gone, eh, you know what? I don't think so. I, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Like, let's not do it. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Would he be relevant to all these years later? I I, I think so. I think, no. I think he would have been working with other artists. I mean, Paul McCartney worked with Kanye and Rhiannon. Um he, yeah, he, that that he, the the Kanye Paul McCartney thing we 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 got to rethink that one. But anyway, we got to go. <laughs> we got to go on a break. But I did want to tell you we were joking around before about you. We're just, done here already. About you wandering in and I you said Bob started. Hope was just talking on or doing a show on the other stage. One of the great stories, one of my all time favorite John Lennon Paul McCartney stories, was back in nineteen seventy something, late seventies. Saturday Night Live, Lorne Michaels was on the air and he says, and they're doing a sketch where they say, we got to get the Beatles and we'll give you $1,000 for each of them if you come. And Paul McCartney and John Lennon, you can watch the skit. They were watching from John Lennon's apartment. apartment. And they yeah. and apparently Paul McCartney says, we sat there and we chatted with each other and decided, should we take a cab over? <laughs> and they walk were only, on. They were only a few miles away. Yeah. It would have been one of the greatest moments in it, TV Ever, because it would have shocked the entire cast like you've never believed, and they didn't do it, and he regrets that they never did it. Yeah, but we ended up with Alec Baldwin doing Trump, which is even better. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jake. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.